because when you get out into the world and you start talking to people about healthcare, you realize they're not including rehab as part of that conversation. And actually, if they were, we're part of their solution. Welcome to the Rehab Cast, the official podcast of the American Congress of Rehabilitation Medicine and the Archives of PMNR. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Niehaus from the University of Colorado. Today on the Rehab Cast, I journey through the evolution of the rehabilitation field and the contributions of the American Congress of Rehabilitation Medicine. As part of our celebration of the 100th conference, I had the pleasure of chatting with several different presidents of the ACRM organization. Each guest will share their insights on wisdom, leadership, innovation, and collaboration inside the field of rehabilitation. You don't want to miss any of these amazing interviews. And I think in a healthcare environment, when people feel so vulnerable, that sense of validation is so important to their sense of well-being, and people feel respected. Our series starts with Ph.D. Gerben DeYoung, who was president of the ACRM from 2006 to 2007. Welcome to the Rehab Cast. Please introduce yourself. Sure. My name is Gerben DeYoung, and I am a quasi-retired uh, researcher, uh, long associated with the National Rehabilitation Hospital in Washington, now part of the MedStar Health System, or really has been since its inception and also the Department of Rehab Medicine at uh, Georgetown University. Um, Tell us a little bit about your path from early career to becoming a president of the ACRM. Okay, thank you. Well, I think in terms of my early career, one has to think of how I was trained. I was originally trained in economics, econometrics, public policy studies, certainly not trained in the rehabilitation sciences. I'm not a clinician. I'm very much an outsider to the field. I got to know uh, Paul Corcoran. Paul Corcoran, some of you may know, was uh, chief of rehab medicine at uh, Tufts Lincoln Medical Center. Uh, later on, ended up at Spalding and also helped found the uh, PMNR department at Harvard. But uh, he he more made a convincing case that I should join his department, and also he provided me some funding. So. From then on, um, I was sucked in, and then he also encouraged me to attend the first ACRM meeting in 1978. Makes sense. That's make, it makes mm-hmm. sense. And we're glad that you kind of have been pulled into the system for yeah. sure. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always interested for people that have been involved with this organization for so long, mm-hmm. how has your perspective changed during your time as an ACRM president? Well, I wouldn't say that my perspective has changed so much. I think it is solidified over time. Uh, I think I've gotten to appreciate the special role that ACRM has, its niche role uh, in rehab medicine and also in um, in the rehab sciences. Uh, but also, I think it has an important role in thinking about uh, disability broadly, disability policy and how we include people with disabilities in our practice, in our research, and such. So I would say my, I also think that uh, over time, I came to appreciate that ACRM really had a niche not only domestically, but also internationally, and really felt that we should have rehabilitation without borders. Would you say that 
that international push was the impact that you'd hope would kind of linger after your presidency? Well, it has only lingered. I think it's thrived. Okay. And as a matter of fact, I think uh, people like uh, Fofi and others have really, I think, uh, moved that forward. We have an international special interest group or network. Um, and I think uh, we've had very good representation uh, here. Do you see that now, like if you think about kind of the the pool of meaning that rehab publications and literature hits, do you mm -hmm. see those ripples rolling further than you have in the past in terms of implementation or adoption in further reaches than you would have otherwise expected because of that? Yeah, I, very much so. I, I think there have been a lot of other facilitators. I think, for example, with PubMed and the way we index things, uh, and also with the internet, the literature is accessible worldwide. Uh, and I think it's that openness that really has helped to advance the field. Uh, and I think we often underappreciate how important uh, that really is. Awesome. Yeah. Um, when you reflect back on that time, what are the what are the things or the moments that you still carry with you into maybe not your daily practice, but you feel like kind of is an undercurrent that you still still have? Sure. I think that one of the things I've learned uh, over time, I think what people want and what they seek and what professions want and what they seek is a certain kind of validation and legitimacy. Mm -hmm. And they want to be, people want to be validated as people. And when you think of people with disabilities, uh, we one time called them invalids for a moment, which is the antithesis of, of validity, if, if you will. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. The Dutch word for rehabilitation is revalidatie, which means revalidation, which, seemed, which struck me initially as being kind of weird. But the point being, it, what, what, what struck me is that's in part what a lot of folks with disabilities have always sought. And, you know, when you acquire a disability and you're a patient, it's a terribly invalidating moment mm -hmm. when you don't have that control over your life. And then you also have a profession, rehab medicine at that time, which didn't always feel validated by its peers. Mm -hmm. And it also sought that validation. And when you have two different groups seeking validation, sometimes they do so at the expense of the other, or they didn't see it as a win-win initially. But I think that's one of the things that has always uh, stayed with me. And something that I've learned, I think, from the disability rights movement. And also it's shaped, I think, my role as a leader because mm -hmm. I think when people work with you or for you, they want to feel validated. And I think validation is most, one of the most important gifts that we can give uh, to our peers and to the people and with the people that uh, we work with. That was excellent. And I think that's something we can all strive to be is mm -hmm. to try to uh, trying to search for that word you said, uh, mm -hmm. revalidate or mm -hmm. reemphasize the humanness of all the people that we work with, I think yeah. is a great undercurrent to care, carry with you in all mm -hmm. your different daily practice, mm -hmm. whether it's administrative or clinical. Well, let me add to that for a moment. I think every encounter we have a patient with a patient is either validating or invalidating. Mm -hmm. I think it's binary. I don't think it's on a continuum. 
Okay. And some are more validating than others. I mean, when you walk through the waiting area, do you make eye contact with the people that are sitting there? Or do you pass them by as furniture? Uh, and, you know, every encounter, whether it's not just the physician or the therapist, uh, it's also the, um, the receptionist or someone that's sitting behind the desk or at the security desk or whatever the case may be. And I think in a healthcare environment, when people feel so vulnerable, that sense of validation is so important to their sense of well-being, and people feel respected when that happens. And I think, you know, people are always trying to talk about patient satisfaction and uh, how does a customer, what are the customer, how does the customer view you and all of that. You know, I think we miss the notion of validation there. People aren't looking to get happy talk from you. They, they want that sense of validation and respect. And I think that if we can convey that and how we talk with people conveys that. I think it's one and also I think science is a very important source of validation in people's lives and, 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 and for a field because science brings legitimacy to it to something. Even if it doesn't prove what you hope it would but I think when the scientific community takes issue, your issues seriously, uh, it, it's, it's, it's immensely validating. And I think that's what we also have to think about in rehab science, that we have that validate, validation role. And, um, and we don't appreciate how important that really is. Um, so I can say a lot more about that, but you know, leave it at that. How do you see the path ahead for rehabilitation professionals going in the years to come? Yeah, well, I think there are actually two things, perhaps, um, that are going to shape the future. Uh, one, I think, is how we pay for rehab in the future. I always say payment drives practice, and there's no secret about that. But I think for the last two, two and a half decades, we've been struggling with how best to pay, uh, pay for post-acute care. Uh, and that will also determine, I think, what resources the field will have, uh, how we value patient outcomes. Um, so I, I think that's going to be very important. I think the other thing that's going to be important is the role of uh, for-profit and not-for-profit rehabilitation. Uh, I think the for-profit sector is getting stronger, but I worry about it because it brings values that I find are antithetical uh, to, uh, I think, the goals of, of rehab and healthcare at times. Uh, at the end of the day, um, I think for-profit providers are, are beholden to stockholders, and sometimes my view is that... Um, how shall we put it, one's fiduciary responsibility to stockholders and fiduciary responsibility to the patient can sometimes be in conflict. And that concerns me at times. Um, so I see that growth occurring, and I don't know what the outcome of that's going to be, but I think it's going to shape our field for decades to come. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um any closing thoughts before we jump into the lightning round questions? Um, 
No real closing thoughts that I have. Let's move into the lightning round questions. Yep. And so the the hope here is to kind of give answers off the cuff, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of quick responses to get your takes on each of these. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me about a piece of good advice you've received. I, I don't think it's the advice that I've received so much as the things that I've learned. Uh, one of the things I learned early in my career and really shaped my career, you have a choice of responding to other people based on what they put in your end basket, or you're going to get them to respond what you put in their bucket. So it's really a question, who's setting the agenda? And there was a time in my life when I wanted to be a good you know, employee and uh, very responsive, and I would respond to everything that people would send to me. But then I had an, uh, an event where there was a study that I did. And it was early in my career. I was working for the state of Michigan at that time. And I had written a very controversial report. What had happened was I was doing some work on juvenile justice issues. And there was a training school in the state that I worked in uh, that was having poor outcomes. It was costing a lot of money. And it was a girls' training school, juvenile detention center. And I, um, so I basically told the staff, look, we're going to close the doors here, we're going to hunker down, and we're going to put out a report on this. Well, we released the report. Everybody got involved. The governor, the governor got involved. The uh, juvenile just, ju- uh, judges got involved. Uh, legislators got involved. Everybody, the OMB got involved. And so what happened was all of a sudden I realized people were responding to my agenda and rather than I responding to their agenda. And that stayed with me. Couldn't agree more. Um, next lightning round question. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me about something I must do if I came to the community where you live. One of the things I've learned as I've moved around the world and I've traveled a fair amount, uh, whether it's in the U.S. or Europe or in China, one of the things, piece of advice I always give, whether you come to my community or somebody else's community, if you can, rent a bicycle. Uh, and if the terrain is a little hilly, get an e-bike. And I'm going to tell you, a bicycle will give you mobility and access uh, to a community unlike an automobile or just walking. Now, if you have a mobility impairment, you might want to get a, a great uh, scooter that can get you around. Uh, that's not... One of the things that really struck me, for example, in the Netherlands, uh, people have better, folks with disabilities have better outdoor mobility than in the U.S. because it's, it's level, lots of bike paths, but some of their scooters are faster than e-bikes, and they really get around. But my point being is that look for some motorized uh, mobility aid um, to get you around in some of the uh, uh uh, nooks and crannies that you would find in any community and also let serendipity take its place as a bike commuter i think that's excellent advice um mm. even just being able to experience the weather and the season and yep. the place that you're in kind of gives you a a different perspective on what that mm-hmm. community is going through at that right. moment how do you thank people who are helpful what i always tell people you know you don't have to say thanks to me. I think what you can't do is try to pay it forward. 
Let me give you an example. My wife and I in Bethesda, Maryland, we've had many young people live with us. They come to Washington for an internship or graduate school or whatnot. And then, you know, they always are grateful for the hospitality and they want to somehow or another, you know, acknowledge or pay back. I said, no. I said, when you get to the point in life where you have the resources and you have the home, uh, pay it forward. And um, that would be the greatest thanks that you could ever give to us. Uh, you're dropping pearls all over the place. This is, this is great. What big ideas have you changed your mind on in the last few years? Ooh, I, um, I can't think of any big ideas. I would say that, um, you know, toward my retirement, I was reading, I came across this line. And it said, um, you should, uh, when you stop learning, you stop living. And another line that said, um, you should live as though you're going to die tomorrow, but learn as if you're going to live forever. And um, that was a pearl that I picked up. It was attributed to uh, Gandhi. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but... I don't know whom to attribute it to, and being the academic that I am, I think attribution is very important, so I have to add that asterisk to that observation. Well said. Well, thank you so much for being here on the Rehab Cast today and for your leadership of the ACRM over the years. Um, we really appreciate, really appreciate you being here, and, and thanks. Okay, thank you, and also uh, it was great to get to know you a little bit better as well, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. You bet. Now, let's welcome our next guest. If you want to make a difference, put yourself in a position to do it. The next president of ACRM I had the pleasure of talking with was Ph.D. Joseph Giacino, who served from 2009 to 2010. Let's have him introduce himself. Happy to do so. I'm Joe Giacino. Uh, by background, I'm a neuropsychologist. Uh, my base of operations is Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital in Boston. I'm a professor in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at Harvard Medical School. Also at Spalding, uh, I am the uh, director of the Traumatic Brain Injury, Spalding Harvard Traumatic Brain Injury Model System. I uh, also co-direct the Rehabilitation Outcomes Center at Spalding. Thanks for being here. Um, tell us kind of your path from early career to becoming the president of ACRM. Talk to us a little bit about kind of how your perspective changed during your time as the ACRM president. I find this is a really interesting I don't know, kernel that doesn't always get shared. I think one of the things that I focused on was trying to build some partnerships with other organizations um, in a meaningful way, not just, you know, because I think there were lots of uh, small uh, initiatives that connected to other professional organizations, but I felt like we needed to do it in a bigger way. Um, and a lot of my efforts, especially during my presidency, were around doing that with a clear goal, a deliverable at the end of that, with neurology, um, with uh, trauma surgeons, that sort of thing. I'm a brain injury guy, so that's where my 
focus was. What impacts did you try to have on the ACRM organization itself? I think it was very much around increasing its national visibility. So, you know, I think ACRM within rehab was clearly a known entity. You know, most people in rehab know about ACRM. That's not true. That was not true outside of ACRM. Um, again, neurology, neurosurgery, neurointensivists. Um, there's a lot of neuros there, but the same thing exists outside of the neuro world. Um, and again, it was, in my mind, uh, essential that we do the, we build some partnerships so that a people get to know us. You know, the only way you can really get to know somebody is by, by bumping shoulders with them. Um, but then the question is, you know, how do you, um, how do you set up substantive, I'll say, projects with these other organizations that are first of all going to have um, uh, some longevity because that's the other way to do this. You you can't just have a short relationship. It's got to be something that's enduring and meaningful to both organizations. So it was really around how do we build the national visibility. Um, I don't think we were doing a great job even with some of the um, major milestones that people in ACRM uh, were responsible for getting that out, you know, press releases, for example. still think we don't do a great job with that. But um, we need to do more of those kinds of things. we keep our, you know, we're sort of a best-kept secret even to this day, but then it was really an issue. Uh, how do you see the path ahead for rehab perception? Uh, I'm going to say that again. How do you see the path going forward for rehab professionals? What's next? One of the things that I have great optimism around is uh, how much more valued rehabilitation is now by our colleagues from other disciplines. But I think our colleagues are realizing that all of the good work, not to mention the cost, is for naught if we don't pay attention to downstream outcomes. What happens to these people? What additional needs do they have? Uh, And, you know, so many of the illnesses, injuries, disorders, uh, again, are not, you know, fixed quickly. So they're recognizing that if we're going to be able to demonstrate our worth in the long term. We have to have rehab helping us. And they acknowledge rehab really knows how to do some things like measurement that they don't do as well. Yeah, both for the field and for the patients we serve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Any closing thoughts before we jump into the the lightning round questions? Uh, I, I... you know, the fact that we are sitting here at the 100th meeting of the ACRM is a little bit mind-spinning. Um, I, I, you know, I, I hope that there's a, a, a bigger feeling of, um, what word do I want to use, um, commitment that people have walking out of here to, uh, you know, pu- at least push some of what's going on here into their local settings. Um, a lot of good stuff happens. It, it, we need it to have legs, and uh, I, you know, I, I th- that's my wish for this. That um, that little additional boost that's coming out of the hundred year celebration. Just the fact that we have lasted a hundred years. Um, it, it shouldn't, you know, that shouldn't get lost when people go back to fig- you know to doing business as usual. Makes sense. 
Um, let's jump into the lightning round question. So first question is, uh, tell me about a piece of good advice you've received. Sure. Um, I think one piece of good advice, and this is probably a paraphrasing as opposed to a quote, was but, but something like, you know, um, if you want to make a difference, put yourself in a position to do it. In terms of where that came from, I did think a little bit about that. And I, th- I mean, I think I've heard that message from a number of people who I view as mentors. But uh, the one that stands out was Mitch Rosenthal, who uh, was a former president and uh, very involved in, in brain injury. Um, and he was the one who influenced me to get on the board and then become president, which I was a bit reticent to do, partly, be, largely because I was super busy at that point in my career and just didn't think I could take it on. And uh, he was very convincing uh, and pushed me over the line. And, it, you know, I think whatever that, however he posed that, that uh, message to me about, you know, look, you can't be up there saying it's that you want to make a change unless you really get in a position to do it. So um, that stuck with me. And uh, it's, I think, something we all know. But then you have to figure out how you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Get into the arena to make, make a difference. Yeah, exactly. What, what seat are you going to have in the arena? Yeah. Um, next question. How do you thank people who are helpful? That's an easy one. By being helpful back. Um, the faster you can figure out how to be helpful back, the better. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a, an obligation. Anytime you help somebody, you're stepping aside from something else that you would be doing to do it for somebody else. And I, I, you have to return that favor. Makes sense. Makes sense. Thank you, Bill, for doing this, uh, for the invitation. It, uh, it, was, uh, it was great fun. Great. Thanks for being here on the Rehab Cast today and uh, again for your leadership of the ACRM. Um, it's been wonderful. Likewise. On to the next interview. Don't stand back. Uh, don't uh, be passive. Uh, we learn by, by giving and uh, lead by example. Our third ACRM president is the editor-in-chief of the Archives of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, Ph.D. Alan Heinemann. Welcome to the Rehab Cast. Please tell us more about yourself. I'm Alan Heinemann. I'm the co-editor-in-chief, along with Leighton Chan, of the Archives of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. I'm a past president of ACRM. I've been actively involved in the measurement uh, ISIG. My day job is as director of the Center for Rehabilitation Outcomes Research at the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab in Chicago. Awesome. We're so thankful that you're here. How... How did your perspective change during your time as ACRM president? Well, as a member, initially my interest is was what's in it for me? It's what, what's the venue to uh, share results, to have an opportunity to travel and to meet uh, colleagues? With time, I came to appreciate that the organization depends on volunteers, not just to present and attend and pay membership fees and registration fees, but uh, to be part of a larger community. And if, if I wanted that to survive, if I wanted it to be there and continue to benefit uh, rehabilitation researchers, I, I needed to become a little bit more involved. Um, with uh, greater responsibility came the opportunity for greater influence on the organization and to 
try to lead it in a way that uh, would serve our ultimate goal, which is improving the lives of people with disabilities through rehabilitation research. Well said, well said. What, what impacts would you say you tried to have on the ACRM organization while you were in the role? Assuring members that there was continuity and uh, more than survival, but an opportunity to, to thrive, to meet members' needs more effectively. The um, management organization involved at that time had relatively limited resources to help do that, in contrast to now, which is a really robust uh, uh, management leadership. So I would say both um, inspiring confidence and ensuring that uh, the organization would not just um, survive but thrive in the future. Um, we're, we're celebrating the 100th conference. Obviously, you're part of that presentation highlighting that timeline. Um, could you give a synopsis or a teaser for your part of that presentation that people could look forward to if they have access to it? I'm going to talk about the history of the Archives of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. That was not its name originally. It's been through a number of names and ownership over the time. Its readership has also shifted, as well as the authors contributing to the journal. Historically, it was almost exclusively physicians who were contributing content. The quality of the science has improved vastly over time. The journal's become much more international. In fact, over half of the authors now are from outside of the United States. Certainly, it's English-speaking countries that continue to contribute the most articles, but um, for the first time last year, uh, China had more uh, first-authored publications than did U.S. authors, which may well continue. Uh, The quality of international submissions has improved incredibly over the time I've been involved in an editorial role. Do you... What different things do you feel like has contributed to that? I just find that very interesting, and I'm curious if you have any insights into that. Well, historically, the U.S. has funded um, research on uh, illness and disability. I think other countries are starting to do that as well. They've also learned from our example, our experience, in terms of delivering better rehabilitation services, and that expertise has grown worldwide, and now more people are able to benefit from high-quality rehabilitation services. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, how, how do you see the path ahead for rehab professionals going forward? Staying on top of contemporary knowledge about best practices is certainly going to be a challenge. The growth of knowledge about what works for whom under what conditions is growing And what we learn initially during medical school or graduate school is going to be surpassed by knowledge in the subsequent years. So it's staying on top of developments, learning how to apply that to practice. ACRM is well positioned to help uh, people do that. It's a research-based organization. And come and attend and learn. Makes sense. Makes sense. Call to action. Do you have any questions for me before we jump into the lightning round? I don't, but I may think of some. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Talk to me about a piece of good advice you've received. Volunteer. Volunteer. One word. (laughs) (laughs) I can elaborate. Sure. (laughs) Don't stand back. Uh, Don't uh, be passive. Uh, um, We learn by by giving and uh, lead by example. Makes sense. Be part of that change you want to see in the world. Absolutely. 
Um, talk to me about something I must do if I came to the community where you live, which I think you said northwestern Chicago area. One thing you must do? If I came to Chicago, what, what should I do? Or your neighborhood or wherever. Oh, my goodness. There's so many different things one could do. Uh, if you're not familiar with the city, I would say the cultural institutions are not to be missed. The Art Institute of Chicago, the Field Museum, the Adler Planetarium, Field Museum, I, uh, Museum of Science and Industry, they're all excellent ways of learning about the world and the human experience. Excellent answer. Those are all great places. I've definitely been to some of them, but not all of them. How do you thank people who are helpful? How do I thank them? How do you thank them? Uh, Directly and frequently would be my (laughs) (laughs) ambition. I'm not sure I do that (laughs) all the time, consistently, but uh, um, with with good eye contact and uh, deep appreciation. I like it. Um, What has been your favorite age to be a rehab professional so far? Right now. Um, We've learned so much over the preceding 100 years. Um, I can't imagine trying to practice or conduct research uh, in 1923. Um, the, we've learned so much. I think this is the golden opportunity. Has there been anything you felt has had a shift? Perhaps not a shift, but more of an emphasis. Uh, my graduate training certainly emphasized uh, valuing the perspective of people we serve, people with chronic illness and disability, um, who bring their perspective on important research questions to ask. I think with time, I've only become a stronger believer in that value, that um, we can't know everything, and what we particularly can't know um, is a lived experience. and what research priorities are and what methods are valued and acceptable uh, to people we are trying to serve. I like that answer. I like that answer a lot. Um, thanks so much for being here on the Rehab Cast and for your leadership of the ACRM. You're very welcome. Um, any closing questions or things you want to add or things you want to fire my way? Well, I'd encourage your listeners to consider additional ways in which they may be involved with ACRM and and contribute. The organization is only as strong as its volunteer members. Now let's turn to our next guest. Don't forget the people who came before you. Those Those are the shoulders that you stand on. So make sure you recognize them. The next ACRM president who'll be joining us is Ph.D. Sue Ann Sisto. Here she is to tell you more about her role at the ACRM. I am Sue Ann Sisto. I am a professor and chair at the Department of Rehabilitation Science at the University of Buffalo. I've been there for six years, and prior to that time, I was in another academic role as research director at Stony Brook University, which is on Long Island in New York. And then prior to that, I was at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation for nearly 30 years, where I started my degree, my career as a physical therapist. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Um, We're going to jump into the questions. So tell us a little bit, and you've hinted at this, tell us about your path from early career to becoming the president, kind of what did that look like? 
It looked like um, the the folks that I had mentor me uh, started out when I was at Kessler. They were um, individuals like Mitch Rosenthal, who unfortunately passed away while I was at Kessler, and he guided me to apply to and attend ACRM. And then once I got there, I got hooked because I was, as I said, very interested in research and rehabilitation research in particular. And then early on, I got um, very involved in what is now known as the Spinal Cord Injury Interdisciplinary Special Interest Group. So in effect, I started that group here at ACRM, and it came from uh, an individual or a couple of individuals who told me that we didn't have enough spinal cord injury concentration here at ACRM, and why don't you start this group? So that's what I did. I started the group, and it was a small group, and the pathway at ACRM is pretty well established. You have to have enough members to go from a networking group to an interdisciplinary special interest group. So that was sort of my path there. That's exciting. And uh, for sure, a uh, something to aspire to be similar to. Um, how did your perspective change during your time as the president? My main focus was to value the membership and make sure that they really had that feeling that ACRM was their home or their family, uh, their professional family, which in some ways extends very much to their friends. So that was important to me. Um, and in having this governance model in the it, within ACRM, it was really um, my my main focus was to be the face of ACRM to the membership. What and you kind of hinted at this, but what were the issues that you faced as ACRM president that kind of feel unique to the time you were in that role? So I thought it was really important to have these chairs communicate with each other. And so starting the chairs council was an opportunity for these chairs of these different community groups to talk to one another so that, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel and you're also generating ideas with each other that other uh, leaders could adopt. So that was a a really important um, direction during my presidency. What impacts did you try to have on the ACRM organization even after you left? That's a very good question, um, which kind of speaks to the legacy. Um, I, I think, well, I was the first physical therapist to become president. So um, as much as I have that identity, I wanted other health professions be represented as leaders within ACRM. And since that time, there have been other physical therapists and occupational therapists as presidents. So that was something 
with that just by virtue of me being a physical therapist and being a woman, I could um, represent other people who could eventually follow me. How do you see the path ahead for rehab professionals going forward? Um, I think the path ahead for rehab professionals is to conduct or participate in rehabilitation research as a clinician or as a and or as a researcher to advance our field for the benefit of people with disability. So um, we have a long way to go. We have to continually be vigilant in conducting our studies and we need to do more partnering with other organizations that have slightly different missions and where they would begin to value our uh, strength in rehabilitation research. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there to to partner with uh, like-minded organizations both in the United States and worldwide. So Yeah, that kind of ties into the international aspect that you've been talking about where... Uh, the more you're able to scale it out and simplify and guide that process, the easier it is to translate and implement and involve various health systems in the U.S. and outside the U.S. and across the world. So that's really exciting. Another area that um, was addressed in the first plenary was this importance of involving the community in generating our research ideas that we can't allow our patients, people, clients to be an afterthought, right? We have to really say, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Does this, does this resonate with you as a person with a disability? Is this important to you? And can you help me in the process? I want you to be involved and have an integral part in uh, planning the study. So more and more of the federal funders are asking for that now. Yeah, it really drives that implementation piece because you can have a beautiful study that finds a wonderful thing, but if it's not meaningful or worthwhile to implement or uh, person-centric for who it's supposed to impact, it it doesn't quite make it there. Yeah, yeah, it gets into a journal on a shelf or digital, but it doesn't get out to these individuals. And so my um, emphasis, I think we also need to do, is address people who have uh, either language difficulties or literacy difficulties and try to generate... Um, new knowledge informs where those individuals could understand the findings, like uh, an infographic, some sort of a pictorial representation of what was found in a particular study. Yes, they may read a research article, but more likely they want things um, summarized in a way that is digestible. Any other 
closing thoughts before we move into the lightning round question or questions for me? Nothing comes to mind at the moment, but let, let's keep talking and right. see if it, anything good. else triggers my, my thoughts. No worries. Um, so for the lightning round questions, these are really meant to be quick answers off the cuff. Tell me about a piece of good advice you've received. Um, I guess I would say don't forget the people who came before you. Those are the those are the shoulders that you stand on. So make sure you recognize them. Excellent advice. Tell me about something I must do if I came to the area you live. Well, I live in Buffalo, New York, mm-hmm. so you should have buffalo wings. Okay. And you should go to Niagara Falls. Okay. Excellent things. And there are many more things, but those are the two most popular things. And then you should come in and have dinner with me at my house. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Um, how do you thank people who are helpful? Oh, I thank people all the time. I One of my main... And this just happens naturally, so I don't think about it. But I've always tried to think about recognizing other people first. Um, and it could it could be in a very public um, arena, such as uh, on on stage here at ACRM, or it could be just last night. You know, I I mentioned to a colleague who presented with me and a, a number of other people, and I said to her la- last night. I said, you know, I really enjoyed working with you on these presentations. And she just looked at me and she said, thank you so much. That was so nice to hear. That's great. What has been your favorite age to be a rehab professional so far? Or what has been your favorite decade to be a rehab professional so far? I would probably say when I was at Kessler, I developed a program that um, focused on wound healing and spinal cord injury. And this was probably around 1985 to 7 or so. But I had developed such mastery of the physiological and biological effects of this. And I got a standing ovation. So that was a big deal for someone that was relatively young in their field and I went so far as to go back into the animal literature to shape the knowledge of how I would apply it in the in human people with spinal cord injury so I would say those years were pretty special put a lot of wind in those sails to to just keep carrying you forward yes Thanks so much for being on the rehab cast today and sharing your wisdom of being a former ACRM president. It was a wonderful time. Thank you. We are over halfway through our list of presidents who will be meeting with us today. Please continue to join us after this brief word from our sponsoring organization. Rehabcast, the official podcast of ACRM and the Archives of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Join us in Dallas for ACRM's 101st Annual Conference. The call for proposals is open for instructional courses, symposia, and research papers and posters. Go to acrm.org call for details. 
For more information on ACRM, including our groundbreaking cognitive rehabilitation workshop and manual, visit acrm.org. Now, as we continue our series celebrating the legacies of past presidents, we have another distinguished guest waiting to share their journey. Because when you get out into the world and you start talking to people about healthcare, you realize they're not including rehab as part of that conversation. And actually, if they were, we're part of their solution. PhD Deborah Bacchus, thank you for joining us today. Your presidency at the ACRM was marked by several significant achievements. Please start by telling us more about yourself and your path to becoming ACRM president. Um, I'm Debbie Bacchus. I am the VP of Research and Innovation at the Shepherd Center here in Atlanta, Georgia. I also direct the Crawford Research Institute there, and I'm the director of multiple sclerosis research. In my other part of my life, I am the immediate past president of ACRM, and I've been a member of ACRM since 2004. Wonderful. I find it's helpful to kind of hear each past president's path from, you know, earlier in their career to becoming that president. What was that process like for you? Mm -hmm. When I finished my doctoral training and I was a PT neuroscientist, I was a different person. And so I found myself trying to find a community where I could fit in. And I knew that it wasn't just PT. The research I was doing really made me want to be around people that were thinking differently about how we do PT. Um, And I really wanted to be in an environment where I was with researchers as well as clinicians. And I just didn't know what that was. But it just so happened that where I was working at Shepherd Center and the CEO, Gary Ulickney, was either, I think he was the incoming president at the time, but he was very involved with ACRM and he encouraged me to attend a meeting. That, That was it. It became really my base community um, and home, professional home, you know, the conference that I never wanted to miss kind of thing. Um, and so I've been a member ever since, and I got involved very early on in the program committee. Um, and then from there, uh, my involvement just grew. I became a member of, at large, which gave me a seat on the board. Um, and then I switched from spinal cord injury research to multiple sclerosis research at the Shepherd Center. And then I needed a new community. And so I started the Neurodegenerative Diseases Networking Group, which is still in place today. Actually, it's a thriving group. So I started that, and uh, and I think it was Gary. But somebody came to me and asked me if I would consider running for president. And I, again, went to Gary, my boss at Shepherd Center, asked him what he thought. He said, I think you should go for it. So I did, and I got it, and that's it. I was the president. I came, and I was just blown away. It was such a wonderful, positive experience. Uh, I found other geeks like myself, you know, who are clinicians, but these kind of science geeks. And I found that there were people that were doing some of what I was doing, but then there were people doing what I wanted to do in different ways. And it was just so challenging um, and inspiring. Well, thank you so much for the time you've given to this organization, and you're going to continue to work with them, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the questions I've been asking the former presidents is, how did your perspective change during your time as the ACRM president? I think that we are well positioned to really have an influence on healthcare. Um, I feel a lot of ownership about improving people's understanding of what we do and um, being an advocate for it, kind of what I talked about this morning. 
Um, so I think I've, I've been strengthened in my resolve for that. So I don't know if it's a change as much as a strengthening. You know? a deepening. An yes, exactly. Because when you get out into the world and you start talking to people about healthcare, you realize they're not including rehab in, as part of that conversation. And actually, if they were, we're part of their solution. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly what I'm going to do about that, but I know that we should be doing something more about that. I like that. Mm-hmm. Well said. Thank you. Um, you've also kind of referenced this a little bit too, but what issues did you face as ACRM president that you feel were unique to the years that you were leading the organization? When I started in the organization, there was there were two things <clears throat> that troubled me that I really, three things, that I really wanted to address. One was that there was not an alignment between the business model and the mission. So there was a lot of conflict um, between members not understanding what was happening on the business side. So I really set out to help John Lindbergh um, understand that disconnect in a way so that he could help us all do better about communicating what the business needs were so that the volunteers felt appreciated, felt heard, um, and felt supported. So that was a very big focus for me. Um, and we did. We worked really closely to make um, to align the two. And I think that it did have an impact on ACRM um, because the volunteers put in a lot of time and effort. And if they're not happy and they don't feel like they're appreciated or understood, then they're going to go elsewhere. And we can't exist without them. Um, so that was one thing. Uh, the other was there was some of the really big names and loud voices in rehab medicine were here. They were um, the Joe Giacinos and the Gail Whitenecks and um, the Dan Lamerts, and there's just so many people. Um, and they were starting to reach retirement, you know. And I saw, and aging out, that's a tough expression, but, you know, our, our leaders in the field kind of, they're going to be moving on. Who's coming along? And, and how do we strengthen our voices of our upcoming leaders? And so that's why we set out to develop the leadership development course, to try to develop the future leaders of rehab medicine. So those were the things that I really focused on. And, and I feel pretty good about where we got um, because uh, we're st- all of those things are still kind of moving along. And seem to be gaining momentum as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. How do you see the path ahead for rehab professionals going forward? I think that we need to um, embrace the fact that we need different ways of getting the job done. And we need to support and celebrate those ways. So for the longest time, um, now I wouldn't say I struggled, but it's always in the back of my head that the the real researcher is the NIH-supported independent researcher. And that's success in the field. That's, you know, as a researcher, that's the mark of success. Well, I didn't set out to do that. I set out to um, to really help get evidence into practice, and that's a different task. It's a different. Um, there are different metrics of success, uh, and I had to learn to embrace that. And I think we, as a field, have to learn to embrace that. We need people that are willing to come up with different approaches of solving the problems, different approaches, different research methodologies. We need people that are at that transition point between research and the clinic. Um, And we need to be able to recognize that those efforts need funding as well as the RCT. Doesn't mean we abandon the rigorous 
research and RCTs. I'm not suggesting that, but that we need to embrace some of these other approaches and um, and recognize them as successful if we, you know, can move the field forward. Yeah, what you speak to that undercurrent that I was hearing was especially as rehab professionals, we're really good at the collaboration piece of patient care. But we need to take that collaboration and not just be focused on only our patients. That's a big part, but it's a yes and scenario. We need to work on that collaboration networking piece with all of the various groups you mentioned to really, you know, multiply the efforts and not subtract from, but help it grow. Right. And, you know, the the rigorous NIH level um, randomized controlled trials are necessary but not adequate, right? It's not enough for us to do that. And and I believe that, you know, we have to stop doing the does it work research and say for whom does it work and wh- how can we do it better. I, I just think that that's what's going to get us a better bang for our buck. <laughs> and so much further. So much further. Do you have any other closing thoughts or questions for me before we jump into the lightning round? Not that I can think of. Okay. But I am having fun. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, So these lightning round questions, they're meant to kind of get to know you a little bit better. Okay. And to kind of spark quick responses, maybe a question or two. We'll just see where it takes us. Okay. Um, Tell me about a piece of good advice you've received. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I actually made a banner and put it up in my office. And um, we were just talking about it just a little while ago. <laughs> it's great advice. Yeah, it is, right? And because it's so it true. is. Mm-hmm. Next question. Talk to me about something I must do if I came to the community where you live. I live in Roswell, Georgia, and there's the center of town is really lovely. It's very cute. Um, and there's a place called Deep Roots, and it has an outdoor area, and it's one of those... Um, there's wine dispensers on the wall, and you get it by the ounce, and you can just hang out. And there's sometimes there's music, and sometimes there's food carts, and um, there's other restaurants there. And it's just one of those wonderful things to do. Just go and hang out and be around the people that you live by, you know. <laughs> Sounds lovely. Yes. We have uh, similar places in Denver, but it's it's frequently beer, not wine. <laughs> uh, right. Exactly. Yep. Same, same concept. Those mm-hmm. are great. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you thank people who are helpful? I just profusely tell them thank you. And um, if I can't, if there's something that I know they really like, um, I, I love to write a note, and I love to um, do that for them, uh, give that to them. What has been your favorite period of time to be a rehab professional so far? Oh, wow, that's an interesting question. Because there's been so many times. And in, in my favorite time, I think, I think, to be a rehab professional, I think right now is going to be my favorite. Well, it's, oh, that's such an interesting question. Stop talking for a second. Let me think. Because I've loved each part in different ways. Mm-hmm. Maybe just talk about that. So I've loved each part in different ways. I loved being a physical therapist, and then I needed it to change, and I needed to get my doctorate. And then I loved being able to do research and, um, with people and um, because it kept me closely connected to them clinically, and I was doing work that could influence them, their lives. 
uh, I really enjoy that. And right now, there's a lot of challenges, and so I really am glad that I'm a part of it, um, and I'm I'm enjoying that. I really want to be part of the the future. You know, I want to be able to inspire and um, help us for the next. You know, put something in place for the next hundred years that really makes a difference. Yeah, have you ever heard of the term futuring? No, no. But I, I kind of know just what it is. Yeah, yeah. The, the, it's the it's the work you're doing that you may never see the result of, but you're trying to put momentum in the direction of where you want things to be in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. a cool little term. I don't think it's a real word. But. I know, but it, but it, it kind of speaks for itself. But yeah, no, I think so, and I I do feel that way, and I'm happy to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for being here on the ACRM Rehabcast. Really appreciate the time you've given this organization and all the things that are going to come in the future. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Moving on to our next discussion. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever expect to ever live through a pandemic and lead an organization. We now have the honor of speaking with Ph.D. Pamela Roberts, the ACRM president who navigated the unique challenges of the global pandemic. Please tell us some more about yourself. So uh, Pamela Roberts, uh, the executive director and professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation at Cedars-Sinai, the executive director and the office of the chief medical officer, the I'm also the co-director of the Division of Bioinformatics, now that we're talking about informatics, or informatics and technology, forgot about that, and I'm Senior Director of Quality Outcomes and Research at California Rehab Institute, and the current ACRM president. Wonderful. Thanks for being here. Um, we're going to jump in right, right into the questions. Um, tell us a little bit about that path that you have from early career to becoming a president of the ACRM. Okay, my path from, I actually was a member, I've been a member of ACRM for a really long time. Um, I don't even remember what year I originally joined. I stayed a member, but I wasn't really that active. And um, one day, Chris McDonald from CARF asked me to just uh, sit in on um, the new, at that time it was a networking group for stroke. And the next thing I know, I'm on the executive committee of the Stroke or Stroke Networking Group at that time that be, soon became the ICSIG. The next thing I knew, I was the secretary, and I think that was it. Um, from there, um, I was asked to be the program chair, and then I was program chair for the uh, conference for five years. And um, at that time, before now, I had um, led the... I had each year grown the conference, and in Chicago in 2019 was the last year I was program chair for the conference, and that was our largest conference before now. And then Debbie Bacchus, who was um, president-elect at that time, they were encouraging me. It took me six weeks to make a decision to actually run because I had to really think about it and think about did I have the time, would work uh, provide me the time to be able to do it, and little did I know that I would be a very long pre- uh, long tenure as president. Yeah, from what I was understanding, it used to be a one-year position, and then they moved it to two, and you had the unique position of dealing with the pandemic, which turned it into a four-year or more? Yeah, four and a half years. 
It's been fun. It's been a, a major learning experience. I mean, never in my wildest dreams did I ever expect to ever live through a pandemic and lead an organization and really um, not know. I've never spent so much time with insurance companies, lawyers, whoever else that I never would have ever expected to really make sure that um, ACRM continues to thrive into the future. That's wonderful. Um, I think you're in a unique position to answer this next question. How did your perspective change during your time as president? I, I guess I had a lot of the unknown. And little. I thought I was well prepared. Uh, Debbie Bacchus, the president before me, was great at really preparing me to take over. Thought it was going to be smooth sailing. I took over in November of 2019, and in March of 2020, the pandemic hit. And so that it was constant change. And it was really the constant unknown. And it was really being able to problem solve with, with the executive finance committee, with the board, with uh, John Lindbergh and the ACRM staff to really figure out what we didn't know. I mean, really, we had no idea how to navigate. And then the one thing I think was really amazing is because ACRM's office was already virtual, that was one thing we did not have to worry about. So at least I did, that was one less thing. But really, it was nobody knew how uh, COVID, the pandemic, was in, in worldwide impacting uh, rehabilitation. We knew that there were functional limitations. And so worked with the early on, I worked with a technology group and we quickly put together webinars that were of no cost to anybody, and we we um, did them every week for many for many many months. I can't even remember how long um, to just try to get information out to the rehabilitation community worldwide. So it was really the unknown and just constant. You know, change brings opportunity. Take that opportunity and go with it. And I think that's been my entire presidency. I I can't imagine what that was like and I completely uh, admire how well you kind of led through that and this kind of leads into this next question which I think we've already kind of touched on this subject a little bit but what issues did you face as ACRM president that were kind of unique to your years in leading it? Oh the pandemic. I, I can't. <laughs> the pandemic will definitely mark my presidency. Yeah. You know, you you read back, I've spent a lot of time also the 100 year anniversary. Mm -hmm. So I actually had the privilege of um, leading the organization through the archives 100 year anniversary for the pandemic, the archives 100 year anniversary and ACRM's 100 year anniversary. So I feel very privileged and honored to be able to help celebrate all those major milestones within ACRM. I think that's that's great. Um, what impacts do, did you try to have on the ACRM organization? One of the main impacts that um, that I'm really proud of is we started the mentorship program and the interdisciplinary interprofessional mentorship program under my legacy, and we also. Um, in conjunction with a from Dr. Bacchus, um, we worked hand in hand, and then I continued it forward of developing the leadership um, course. And not only did we have the early career course, now we have the leadership course. We combined the two groups into to the career networking group, so that it wasn't just after you're done with early career, what happens? That we really think about rehabilitation medicine for the career and the mentoring and the leadership that needs to be there. And now our 
uh, mentoring. We not only have, we started originally with research mentoring, now we have leadership mentoring, so that we really um, address rehabilitation professionals, whether you're in the research world, the clinical world, or a hybrid, which is probably the majority of us, um, that we really try to meet the interprofessional needs um, across the world. Excellent answer again. Um, any questions for me before we head into the lightning round? Nope, I'm no? good. All right. Talk to me about something I must do if I came to the community where you live. Drive up the coast. That's great. Um, what has been your favorite age or time that you've been a rehab professional so far? Um, I think uh, probably when I was in my 20s, I I probably just, I was trying to figure out where I was going and how to um, move forward. And I probably, and I know for a fact, because I'm still in touch with one of my first bosses, I gave them a, I gave them a pretty hard time. I was just, I knew where I wanted to go and I was going to get there. And I just had asked the questions and, and I said, just tell me the parameters. I will figure it out. And they're like, but you don't have my, I said, I'll figure it out. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> And a lot of I, I um, She definitely said that I gave her a run for her money. And I'm teaching a leadership course with her now at the University of Southern California. And it's really fun to um, see the students because we, we, we batter after each other. What big ideas have changed your mind in the last few years? I think the, the, the expansion of technology. Okay. Um, I really think that um, over the years, you know, Technology is not everything. There's still the hands. You still need your hands on. You still need to um, touch. I mean, I do a lot of neurorehabilitation, so really, under, you you don't want to lose touch of where you started. There is definitely a place for technology, but it doesn't work for all populations. So you have to really look at what does each population need. How do you um, address them? What's meaningful to them? And um, I'm all for te- technology. I love technology, but um, it's just not for everybody. Makes sense. Makes sense. Thanks so much for being on this episode of the rehab class. We really appreciate you being here and sharing your knowledge. Thank you. On to our next engaging talk. As you gain more and more responsibility within an organization, you see things more globally uh, and you gain a better understanding. As we close our series of the past presidents of ACRM, we will now get to look forward with the incumbent president, PhD Fofi Constantinidou. Welcome to the Rehab Cast. Please tell us more about you. Okay. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this um, uh, Rehab Cast. My name is Fofi Constantinidou. I'm a professor of um, clinical neuropsychology and language disorders at the University of Cyprus in Nicosia, Cyprus. And uh, I have been involved uh, with ACRM for about 20 years as a member. And then more actively since 2006 when I relocated from Miami University of Ohio where I was a professor there to take on a position at the University of Cyprus. Let's expand on that a little bit more and kind of talk about how your uh, experience with ACRM has grown and changed 
on your path to becoming the next president of ACRM? The creation of the International Committee and the expansion, the need for ACRM to expand globally for sustainability purposes and to meet the mission better, uh, it also coincided with my move to Cyprus. And this created uh, excitement for me and lots of synergies because I moved to a country where there was no infrastructure. No infrastructure in terms of tools to conduct research, but then also no clinical infrastructure. And so um, working with ACRM members who participated um, as members of advisory boards, uh, supervising doctoral dissertations, collaborating with me on projects to um, translate and validate tools in Greek, uh, and then at the same time leveraging on networks that I had created uh, by being in Europe and doing more international work. All these networks contributed to ACRM by capacity building through task forces, symposia, etc. So there, there was this synergistic relationship. I became um, chair of the international group. I uh, eventually became an international networking group in 2012. Uh, so from 16, a 16-member committee, we expanded to having more than 100-some members. So... I think that puts you in this really interesting and unique position to then lead the organization next as this front continues to build and grow. And I'm excited to see where it's all going to go. I'm very excited as well. I think it's kind of a symbolic um, event that um, the, you know, at the 100th year anniversary, there's also a president-elect who for the first time does not live in the United States. So there, I think there's some symbolism in that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I th- I'm excited yeah. to see what next chapters come. How do you think your perspective will change during your time as ACRM president? Mm-hmm. It's a very good question because I've been asking myself some similar questions in terms of, you know, um, being on the board of ACRM, I've been on the board of ACRM since 2015, if I'm not mistaken. So I've been on the board and then serving as secretary on the Executive Finance Committee. Uh, I've gained a different perspective as compared to being a member or a group chair because I understand more now about the multiple forces, checks and balances that need to be in place Uh, and also the role of the Executive Finance Committee and ultimately the the role of the the President. And I'm sure there's things I don't know and that I'll be learning during my tenure as as, uh, President-elect in the next two years and then as as President. So you're shifting when you become a member of the board because now you're not advocating only for your own group. You have a fiduciary responsibility towards the entire organization. So as you gain more and more responsibility within an organization, you see things more globally uh, and you gain a better understanding um, as to what needs to um, happen. So I'm, I'm very interested, I'm very excited in in learning more about how um, 
these roles will shift as time goes by. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing about leadership is as you step into those different roles, your perspective on what's happening before or what's happening after completely changes. Yeah. Absolutely. When you think about your future tenure as the president, what impacts do you hope to have on the organization itself? Yeah, so basically, what is the legacy? This, uh, and I've been thinking about that. Um, I've been thinking about that in preparation for the for the um, symposium later on today. But then overall, and and I think that's the nice uh, the nice um, luxury that one has to be a president elect for a little bit, because then you can actually really think about your legacy. But I believe, um, my, you know, thinking of my perspective living in Europe and understanding um, that every country has different challenges. The U.S. Uh, is our base as an American organization, and we need to serve our base. But then I also wonder if some of the things that we do, we could somehow... Um, think about how to present them in a way that's more globally relevant uh, so people don't have to reinvent the wheel every time they're trying to advocate for services. So some of our policy documents, for instance, how can they become more high level so that somebody like me being in Cyprus, when I go to talk to policymakers, I can just quickly show some um, overarching data to advocate for interdisciplinary rehabilitation. This is just an example. Mm -hmm. I look forward to seeing where you're going to take everything. How do you see the path ahead for rehab professionals after your time as president? What's that next step you're going to lead us towards, but it's going to be that next group that takes care of? We've already learned a great deal about the needs of the population. Uh, we've gained uh, knowledge about um, timing of certain aspects of rehabilitation. We're yet to be very successful in developing uh, very accurate predictor models. You know, we don't have, we're not very good with our crystal ball yet to project. We can make good estimations, but not necessarily very accurate. Um, and uh, also, unfortunately, we know that there are great gaps within countries, within the U.S., within states, uh, and also within other countries and across countries in terms of fragmented services at time and uncoordinated services. So I hope that um, through our research, through our advocacy, through inter disciplinary collaboration, we can indeed improve in those domains uh, for better patient outcomes, um, more precision research, and also um, to be able to better understand how we can apply this knowledge we have gained in terms of better treatment methodologies for more effectiveness for certain types of patients. So if a patient has XYZ characteristics, then if I apply this model, then this model will yield better results. So that will be like a more precision type of rehabilitation. That makes sense. So that will be a hope. 
and like a goal. It. A goal. I like. I think that's definitely something to strive for. Um, any questions you have for me before we head into the lightning round? No. Um, how do you thank people who are helpful? How do I thank? Mm-hmm. I express my thanks. I say that I appreciate uh, what they do. Um, I like to hold some social events, and I usually invite people that um, are, have meaning in my life, not out of obligation. Uh, I mean, we have sometimes we have to do things because we're obligated, right? Uh, so I, I um, small gestures of gratitude, I guess. Makes sense. Um, what has been your favorite age to be a rehab professional so far? Every, every year. So I fell in love with rehabilitation uh, as a graduate student doing my master's program. I started my master's program at Southern Illinois University, and I had a graduate assistantship at the Center for Comprehensive Services. It was the first post-acute rehabilitation center in the country. I walked into the place and uh, was given a training video, uh, test manuals to read, and I started learning about brain injury and reading, and I became obsessed. I was dreaming about it, thinking about it, talking to others about it, and that was the start for me. I found my calling, and so ever since, I think every year is the best year. Uh- has there been a big idea that's changed your that you've changed your mind on in the last few years? Well, I don't know if it's a big idea, but it's certainly uh, getting a better understanding on the connection between because I do research mostly in cognition, language cognition, communication, and all the related areas of that, and so. Um, Gaining uh, as I gain more experience, and as I see people in settings like Cyprus, where their rehabilitation is certainly incomplete, um, I'm, I'm understanding better the connection uh, between um, emotion and cognition, for instance, uh, the role of families in the process. Uh, so I I don't think it's a big idea, but it's getting a better perspective of how everything connects uh, versus focusing more on my isolated um, research question. So I think maybe it's what, you know, this comes with age as, as you gain more experience. Uh, but I'm getting a better perspective. And, and also never say never because I... I find doing uh, maybe thinking of some things or engaging in some uh, um, practices that I wouldn't necessarily think that um, were very interesting to me maybe five, ten years ago. So I, I do find that's interesting that the further we go along, the more we kind of see the spider web of all the interconnections and yeah. everything. And gaining more flexibility also as a person. I think that's good. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here on this episode of the Rehab Cast. It's been wonderful chatting with you, and I look forward to seeing where this organization is going to go under your 
upcoming leadership. Thank you, and I thank all the ACR members who voted for me and for their trust. Thank you. You bet. I'll do my best. We appreciate you joining us today on the AACRM Rehabcast for our discussion with past presidents and reviewing their legacy of leadership. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you are listening right now. It really does help spread the word about this wonderful field of rehabilitation. I'm Dr. Bill Niehaus. Follow me on social media at NHAUSMD. Special thanks to Philip Frobos and... Jenny Almond, who produced this episode. We have cast music by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And now, the mandated promotional material read by my son. Hi there. We want you to come and have fun with us at the big meeting in Dallas in 2024. It's for rehab professionals who help people get better. The meeting will start on October 31st and end on November 3rd. You can still sign up if you want to go. If you can't go, you can still see what we're doing on social media. We will have a special hashtag to find each other. Hashtag ACRM2024. See you there! Do you want to do any of it another time? No, I just want to get this over with. Okay.